May the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our rock and our salvation. Driven, wilderness, 40 days, tempted by Satan, wild beasts and angels, what a way to begin a bold public ministry. John the baptizer was at Jordan, where crowds of people are coming to begin a new way of life. Crowds and crowds, multitudes. He is a powerful man, someone we would definitely call an influencer. And John proclaims that there is one coming after him, that he is not even worthy to step down and untie the thong of this one's sandals, the work of a servant, hardly the work of an influencer. This one who will follow John will baptize not with water, but with the Holy Spirit. Then in Mark's gospel, Jesus comes from Nazareth to be baptized by John. As he comes out of the water, the heavens split wide open, and the Holy Spirit descends, and a voice says, You are my son, whom I love. With you, I am well pleased. Before Jesus does anything, God affirms his unique status as his own son, that he is beloved and well-pleasing to God. No one else is party to this display in the Gospel of Mark, only Jesus. It is a defining moment in the life of Christ. John doesn't proclaim it. In Mark, who Jesus is remains a mystery to the crowds, but is revealed to the church later through oral tradition of the time shared and as we later read. It's like a mystery novel, where the readers are privy to information that the participants in the story don't know. And sometimes who we are and what we are called to do initially remains a mystery to the people right beside us. But God knows, and internally we may have a deep knowing from the moving of the Spirit in our lives. And as our lives unfold, looking back, we and others can see the hand of God all along. But this beautiful moment of ecstasy ends rather quickly because immediately Jesus is driven out to the wilderness. He was in the wilderness 40 days, tempted by Satan and accompanied by wild beasts. Thankfully, angels waited on him. For 30 years, Jesus was preparing for ministry in obscurity. Being fully divine and fully human, he lived as we do. He had to get up in the morning. He had chores to do as a child. He learned a trade from his father, and he came to understand the rhythm of the lives of the people around him. He absorbed their culture in a way that can only happen when you live the day-to-day -day life of the people you are with and how they make meaning of the lives that they live. It's easy to observe a culture from the outside and interpret what you see through the lens of what you already know, but it's very, very different if you spend extensive time with them. For 20 years, I served a congregation that was primarily Latin, most members coming from Mexico, then Guatemala and El Salvador. They were a loving and beautiful congregation, and it was an honor to worship with them, become part of their community, and eventually become their associate pastor. But there were some things about their culture looking from the outside I could not understand and only finally came to understand by being embedded with them. I'd been attending church for about six months when a lady who barely reached my shoulder 
came up to me and slapped me on the side of my face and said, Miha, where's your husband? I was appalled. <laughs> Only my excellent training from my parents that you never slap your elders held my initial reaction in check. I was dumbfounded. Who was this woman? Why is she up in my business? And how dare she touch my face, much less slap it. As I stepped back out of her reach so it couldn't be repeated, I asked her to repeat her words. Again, she said, Miha, where's your husband? Taking a deep breath, I told her I was recently divorced, and she responded, I will pray for you. You should have a husband. And she walked away. I didn't even know her name. Looking from the outside in, it was a terrible affront, something you would never do, even on your worst day. It was horribly intrusive, and it violated everything I knew about personal space. But I came later to understand what a beautiful act of love it was. Touching my face and calling me Miha, she had embraced me as a part of her extended family. Miha is an affectionate term, meaning my daughter. She was concerned that I was alone, and the solution she knew best was for God to send me a new husband, a prayer that was answered with a no, or not yet. Likewise, those 30 years that Jesus walked the earth before his ministry were not wasted, but it enabled him and those around him to build relationship and understanding. Through that time, he became a priest who was touched by the feelings of our infirmities, not a God who is so far away and can't understand us, but one who knows what it's like to stub your toe. Then after those years of ministry passed, his public ministry began with an incredible experience that ended one chapter of his life and moved him to the next chapter. But before that chapter began, he spent 40 days in the wilderness. Those 40 days are the basis of Lent. That wilderness experience was time away from all that he knew. And all that we know as we move into something new is very important. The wilderness experience isn't all fun and games. Instead of being with the people he knew, the rhythm of life he knew, the town he lived in, and the foods he was used to, Jesus wasn't invited, but driven into a space of emptiness accompanied by wild animals having Satan for company and angels. That hardly seems like a retreat I would choose. But after that intense time away, we see the ministry of Jesus begin to unfold publicly. When we look back on the ministry of Jesus, we see how fruitful it was and continues to be. Lives were restored. The dead were brought back to life. Families received both sons and daughters and brothers in different miracles. Bodies and relationships were healed. Those who were blind, those who had leprosy, Remembering the woman at the well, the women hemorrhaging, the man born blind, all their lives, fruit of the life of Christ. This has truly been a wonderful year, and we have been fruitful as well. We have worshipped together, celebrated together, mourned together, learned together, marched together, and eaten together. 
Our liturgy is complex and beautiful, an offering of our very best to God. This couldn't happen without the altar guild, the acolytes, the bread makers, the linen ironers, led by Nancy Bain and Brother Francis, mentored by Mark Gastineau, or the tech team led by Bob Hogan, or the musicians led by Ryan Brunkhurst, or the affiliated priests, the deacon and preachers who spend countless hours in prayers and discernment to bring us the sermons that both provoke and inspire us. But before church begins, even as we approach the church, the exterior is cared for through the hard work of those who garden in obscurity and secrecy on Saturday and other days. Then we come into a beautiful worship space, made possible by the generosity of generations of people, along with those of us gathered here. The legacy we will leave behind through the work of the Endowment Committee, led by Mark Gastineau, will allow the work to continue. Passing through the glass doors that open us up to the community and control sound and temperature, we're led by the people of the Capital Campaign, specifically Father Tom and Frida. Our place is cleaned by our Sexton Floyd, who is the director of the cathedral, yet finds more contacts, contacts and bargains for us than we could ever imagine on our own. Our primary florist, Kobe Palmer, faithfully provides flowers appropriate to the season and allows us to honor our loved ones with thanksgiving and for Don, who assists when Kobe is away. When we enter, we're greeted by greeters, a team led by Mary and Amy, who offer us a smile, assistance, and a bulletin made each week by our parish administrator, Abby. And each person who signs up for coffee hour allows us a time to build relationships with special events led by Ginger. Spiritual formation assists us by Helene Russell and Father Charles Allen. Congregational leadership by the vestry is critical. The untiring work of the senior warden and the junior warden, who is often here several times during the week, helps keep the building operational. Our treasurer, Canon Brendan, provides education and support that we need to utilize our funds carefully changing the form at least three times this year to increase our understanding. From the anti-racism work and documentary led by Linda Ferreira and, and Catherine Crouch and our outreach work throughout the years that meets the needs of Dayspring Center, by Socks and Soap by Jim, over 157,000 items were donated by the work of the Damien Center associated with Louise Bolin, that there were over 150 families, primarily outside the congregation, but also within the congregation, who received assistance through the rector's discretionary fund, including those also who led our pledge campaign, including led by Rose. I can't possibly include every ministry. I can't possibly include everyone, as some of you are wondering, is she ever going to stop? No, I will never stop being filled with gratitude for each one of you. We offer lavish thanksgiving to God for each person who makes it possible. We're all a part of something greater than ourselves, making a greater impact in the world today than any one of us could do separately. I deeply appreciate you and your offering of time, talent, and treasure. 
while it may seem a bit unusual to have a Lenten service sermon the same time as we have our annual meeting, after deep consideration, it seemed quite fitting. Lent is a time to change the rhythm of our lives, to refocus and deepen our relationship with God, to search our hearts for where temptation will pull us away in its many forms. What might tempt me may not be a temptation to you, and what might tempt you may never tempt me. But in our extended quietness with God, we can know ourselves more fully as we are fully beloved and look clearly at our interior and exterior lives, see where we have fallen into temptation, repent and return to the Lord, knowing that we are God's children and God loves us passionately before we do anything at all. Lent has just begun. And this is a wonderful opportunity, if we haven't already dis done so, to discern what God is calling us to give up, to replace or add, that we might become more like the Christ that we serve. It is an opportunity to follow Jesus into a desert place where our dependency on God is made so much more clear, to see and be with the wilderness of our lives in the place where God has called us to be. This Lenten season, I invite you to have a special focus on the work that God has called us to do as a parish for the coming year. As each annual meeting sets us up for the next chapter of our lives together as the community of all saints, how beautiful it would be for us to begin this season with fasting and prayer with an intentionality of what the new year might bring. To begin by clearing out whatever debris may be in our lives facing the temptation to be anything less that God has called us to be and allowing angels to minister to us in ways that we may never have even considered. God is present with us, calling us into the work he has designed for us to do as a unique community at 16th and Central, a beacon of hope and light in a world that needs it so desperately. But to do the work, we must be ready. Let us take the next 40 days of Lent to prepare our hearts, our minds, our relationships, and our walk with God that we can do the work that God has called us to do. God has strengthened us in the past, and we have every reason to believe God will continue to strengthen us in the future. As we look forward to the coming year, we will focus on inviting others to gather with us for worship and to grow as followers of Christ. We will continue our work for social justice and anti-racism, and we will add our feet to our prayers related to gun violence in our city. I always ask for your prayers, and please know that you are in mine. It is indeed a privilege to serve as your 12th rector. May God bless you deeply. Amen.